Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you lovely listeners. Is your day a bit meh? A bit blah? Maybe you're coming down with something. A virus. That's right. Curable, though. You might have the case of boredom. Don't worry, I'm here to help. Just relax. (laughs) I have my tea, and you have me. So let's talk stories. Today I have for you another Augie story titled The Guardian. A man has a reoccurring dream. What does it mean? Is it real or just his imagination? And our second story is by a no-sleep author, Chris Bird 93 titled A Letter to My Father. A son reaches out to his father and gives him a heart-to-heart talking to. <laughs> now, both these lovely authors have their own websites. I'm going to include both in the show notes and I really recommend checking them out if you enjoy their story and have some time. Now, turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something different. The Guardian I sat on the edge of the firm leather couch, resting my elbows on my knees. I took a deep breath and felt the muscles in my neck tighten as I began. I'm sleeping in my bed when I hear a noise. I open my eyes just a bit and see my wife sleeping soundly next to me. The cat curled up between her legs. I close my eyes again, assuming it was my dumb neighbor. Not a minute later, I hear it again. This time it was louder. It's almost like a tapping or banging noise. I sit straight up and turn behind me, and that's when I see him. An average build man wearing a dark hoodie and baggy jeans. He had no face and is just standing at the window. That's when I usually wake up. I leaned back, a bit relieved to get the dream I'd been mulling over for three weeks out of my head. Had it not been for my wife, I wouldn't have met with a therapist at all. Well, that's not uncommon, Dr. Graham said. Have you been stressed lately? Sometimes stress can manifest itself into nightmares. I'm not going to lie, money has been tight. It's a lot to deal with, supporting my small family, I replied. You're doing everything you can, James. You can't put unrealistic expectations on yourself. You're only human. Doc, with all due respect... The pressure I put on myself is completely warranted. My wife hasn't been able to work in years thanks to her back injury. Have you given any thought to government assistance? Nah, I'd rather not bother with it. I said, crossing my arms in front of me. James, there are certain things you need to put your pride aside for. In my professional opinion, this is one of those things. However, I can't make that ultimate decision for you. The doctor paused and scribbled something down into his notebook. He pushed his glasses up on his nose and looked at me through them. And what do you think these dreams mean? In every dream I have of this man, I feel powerless. I feel like I can't move and that I have no strength. It feels like 
Even if something did happen, my arms would be noodles, and I might not even be able to stand on my own. Whether this man bursts through the front door, stands at the window, or he's at the foot of our bed, I can't protect my wife. That's the fear that wakes me up. These words seemed to spit out of my mouth, without me actually thinking about what I was saying. I looked up at Dr. Graham, with a surprised look on my face. He scribbled more down into his notebook, checked his wristwatch and sighed. <sighs> well, I'm sorry, James. It seems like we'll have to explore that facet of your mind in our next session. My next appointment will be here in ten minutes. I wanted to protest, but on the other hand, I didn't want to keep talking about this. I could already feel a lump forming in my throat. I stood and shook the doctor's hand. I barely remember the drive home. I was in such shock that a stranger had somehow penetrated my brain. More so, that he could see what was actually happening in there. When I got home, my wife greeted me at the door. The house smelled of brownies, the treat she always baked for me when I was having a rough day. Before I could get my shoes off, her arms were around my waist, squeezing tightly. Are you alright? She asked. To be honest, I don't know. I replied. She looked up at me with the expression she sometimes has that makes me feel like a lost puppy. I know she doesn't mean to be condescending when she looks at me that way, but when she does, it feels like I'm three inches tall. My wife is the only one who has ever truly loved me. Jumping from foster home to foster home when I was younger turned me into a calloused jackass. But she saw right through that. I don't know what I'd do without her. And it seems like even with her, I don't know what to do. Since her injury, times have been tough. We've managed to stick together through it all and I'm so grateful for that. I only wish I knew how to repay her. Getting ready for bed typically causes my chest to tighten. Lying there in the silence and the dark leaves room for my mind to wander. I know what will eventually come, and being restless at night makes me lose sleep which, in turn, gives me more bad dreams. Tonight, however, I feel more nervous than ever. Since my appointment this morning, I've been thinking about what the therapist said. How he was able to see me for what I was and not the hard and angry guy all my friends know. It amazes me that I'm that transparent. That someone other than my wife can see that part of me. It made me uncomfortable. All I keep thinking about is the fact that this faceless man is somehow the manifestation of my stress and feeling like I can't keep my family afloat. With some hesitation, I climb into bed, turn off the TV, and let the rhythmic sound of my wife turning the pages of her book lull me to sleep. Before I know it, the knocking sound reverberates through my head and my eyes open wide. I don't move, but the room feels off, it feels real. My wife is still awake, her knees curled to her chest and her eyes widened at the pages that she's holding inches from her face. Are you okay? You were shaking the whole bed. 
She says, breaking her concentration to turn and look at me. Yeah, I'm okay. Can you grab me some water? Sure, she says. She leans over to grab the cup on my side table, kissing me on the cheek as she does so. I rest my head on my pillow, my eyes still wide open, my entire body awake and alert. I've left some kind of puddle on my pillow. Whether it's sweat or drool, I can't tell. In the time it takes me to blink, the faceless man appears at the foot of our bed. I'm completely paralyzed. My wife walks back into the room and stops short, staring at him. The sound the glass made, shattering on the floor, diverted the faceless man's attention away from me and onto her. I tried to move, but my elbows kept buckling and my legs go numb. The faceless man cocks his head to one side and strides over to my wife. It took every ounce of energy I had to sit up. He wasn't able to make three steps before she grabbed a large shard of glass and forcefully stabbed it into his thigh. All I could do was watch, struggling to stay upright and keep my neck from bending. He doubled over in pain, silently screaming and writhing before her. His baggy blue jeans were weighed down with ounces of blood he was losing each second. My wife kicked him over, and he fell hard on the floor. I heard something snap, and he stopped moving. My wife ran over to the bed, blood splattered across her white nightgown. She took me in her arms, and all at once, my strength came back. I held my head up, but I couldn't hug her back. I had never felt more useless, more powerless over anything before. My greatest nightmare had just been obliterated by the only person I cared enough to protect from it. I laid back down as my wife changed into new pajamas. My eyes closed and I began to cry. This was one of the worst nightmares I'd ever had. The only hope I had to look forward to was waking up from this and trying to analyze it with my therapist next week. Only, I didn't wake up. As the sun shone on my face the next morning, I realized I had been awake all night. My pillow was sopping wet. My wife was sleeping soundly next to me in a dark oversized t-shirt. And there was a wide, dark blood stain on the floor beside our bed. A letter to my father. Dear Dad, this has to stop. I've let it go on for as long as I can, but I'm tired. My earliest memories when I was four years old, I made you carry me up the stairs to my room because I was too afraid of the dark. I had my arms hooked around your neck and your shirt bunched in my fists, and I watched as the light from the hallway faded as you ferried me up to my room. You dropped me into bed and turned on the nightlight as I clambered beneath the sheets, and the frame creaked as you sat next to me and ruffled my hair. Don't worry, Munchkin. There's nothing hiding in the dark. There's no such thing as ghosts. I believed you up until three days after your death. When you first came, it took me back to that fear I had when I was four years old. You quietly climbed the stairs, but I heard the last one creak, as it always has. I strained my ears, but was frozen stiff 
when you stomped down the hallway to my room. I saw your shadow cross over the gap beneath the door, and then vanish. The following night, I watched you struggle with the handle until the door edged open and your fingers slowly curled around the wood and dug into the grain. Your decaying skull leaned out from behind the door and you laid dead eyes upon me for the first time. You opened the door and stood, silhouetted from the hallway light, and I squinted my eyes until they adjusted. Your body was starting to rot, and yellow leathery skin was sunk into the bones. Then, the slice along your neck began to ooze. Blood streamed out, covering your shoulders and seeping into mud cake clothes until they soaked through and began to drip onto the floor. You stood there for a firm five minutes, gushing blood and anchored by the door. Finally, you skulked back into the hallway light and stomped down the hall. I have never been more terrified. You would hit mum in places where no one would see. She would tell me that you loved us all so very much. I'd find you the next day curled in the fetal position on the sofa, your head on her lap. I listened in one day. I heard as you begged your wife for forgiveness and told her you were sorry and that it would never happen again. Not long ago, I woke up with your slimy, decaying body next to me in bed. I wanted to kill you all over again. Your labored breath was hot and sticky in my ear. And your body left yellow mucus in my bed. I leapt out just as maggots wormed out of your eyes, nose, mouth and ears. They covered the bed until your hollow body collapsed around the skeleton that, with no eyes, still watched me back away out the room, eyes wet with fright. As I got older, I got the beatings, but unlike mum, I never got any apology. I was a man, and so I had to take it like a man. I'd anger you on purpose, just to save her any more turns as a punching bag. When she got ill, you got worse. When she died, you became something else entirely. I wanted to kill you. I couldn't wait until I was 18 and I could leave you to wallow in your miserable life. But Hattie couldn't come with me. And I could never leave her alone with you. Social services, the police, any sort of plea for help. The thought of what you would do if you found us was the most horrifying thought of all. So I stayed. And I took the whipping of belts and the broken bottles twisting into my back. Yesterday, you were violent. I woke up with you, latched onto the ceiling. Black pus spilled out from your lungs and onto the bed. Then you fell on your back and your arms and neck contorted so that everything was backwards. You wrapped your hands around my neck and squeezed tighter and tighter as the last of my air escaped my lungs. Then you let go. <laughs> and as I was gasping for breath, Tears streaming down my face. You leant in and whispered. There's no such thing as ghosts. The day I found the bruise on Hattie's left chest was the day you went too far. I found you outside, reclining on a deck chair, 
as I got home from work. Your eyes were wet and red, and you'd already drunk a case of beer. You didn't even turn your head when you heard me slide open the patio door. I'm sorry. You wept, knowing it was too late. I'm... My knife slid along your throat, and the satisfaction I got from stopping you mid-sentence will never be matched. Me and Hattie are selling the house. As a favor to your children, I ask you to leave. To haunt someone else. Someone as evil and as horrid as you. Go, and be a monster to a monster. Or I'm sending you to hell. Just fantastic. The Guardian had me on a roller coaster ride of amazement, surprise, and wow at the end. What a great read. Thank you, Augie, for allowing me to narrate your story. And a letter to my father. That escalated fast. <laughs> the tagline at the end Go and be a monster to a monster, or I'm sending you to hell, is a killer badass burn to an undead creature. If I ever heard one. I mean, to me, that's up there with, I've come here to kick ass and chew gum. And I'm all out of gum. For those of you who know that tagline, high five, yeah. And for those of you who don't know the tagline, it's from They Live, where the protagonist uses special glasses to spot aliens that are slowly taking over the world. Really, really good film. Has some primo fighting scenes in it as well. But back to the story, before I get sidetracked, goodness. I really love the pacing of your story, mate. You made it easy to follow, whilst holding no punches when it came to your descriptions of gore and the son's dialogue to his father. Great work, mate. A no-sleep story I won't be forgetting. Looking forward to any more you have up your sleeve. And likewise, Augie, your writing is inspiring other writers and listeners to pick up the pen or the PC and start writing stories of their own. I've received emails expressing how your stories are inspiring them to write better. So, of course, both of you feel free to send more stories my way. Okay, my creepylicious fiends of storytelling, I may not be present tomorrow. <gasps> oh no, as I'll be out and about, but will do my best to squeeze an old-time radio episode or a small story for Friday. If I can't make it for any reason, at least I'm letting you know why. I'll be eating, playing board games, and having a great time with pals. So if you don't hear me tomorrow, join me Monday for some more no sleeps and listener stories. And remember, if you're stashing away your own story, why? Send them to me, and I can bring them to hundreds of creatively hungry ears from around the world. Thank you all for listening, and thank you authors for your stories. And as always, till next time.